I hope you feel at home. I hope you came in here and you now feel like you belong. Don't you love, don't you love that idea of being at home? I've lived in 25 houses in my life, in 13 different towns and cities, but I think one of the greatest blessings of my life is that I've always felt at home. You know that feeling, that idea of I belong here, I'm comfortable. You know those homes, you probably all have that friend where you don't really have to, you can just knock on the door and then just keep walking and shout out, the kettle's on. That place where you know you fit. That place where you are safe. The place where you know you are loved. We are wanted. Where you matter. That's a home. Often, we confuse house with home. But the truth is, you don't even have to be in a house to be at home. You see, home doesn't happen by accident. Home happens because the people who are there make it happen. Because the people who are there love others. Because the people who are there do things to make this place special. I grew up in one of those homes where all our friends wanted to come to our house. Uh, our house has always been like that. And I love that. And I know that my mom and my dad worked incredibly hard at that. And sometimes it was a pain. I know. But I, I never had to worry. I could say to my friends, come, come. Because, because I've always had this home. And I just love it when people know that they are home. And, and when people know that, that they are responsible for making a place a home. Acts chapter two is the story of a home. A home like no other. It's not about a building. It's not about a fancy lot of decorations. You know, I've been into beautiful houses and other places that are beautiful and opulent and, and look so wonderful from the outside. But, but then I've been inside and it doesn't feel like home. It feels starchy. I remember one of the homes in our neighborhood when I was growing up in Vereniging. Yeah. I grew up there. The lounge was protected. You, we, you couldn't go into the lounge. It was, it, it, you couldn't go in there unless you were a big person. It, it wasn't a home. But then I've been to other places, places that don't look beautiful on the outside, often places that, that look a little scary or a little lonely, but I've been able to go in and just feel loved and like I belong, and like the people really want me there. I remember Amy and I, my oldest daughter and I, went on a mission trip to Malawi, and, uh, to Mozambique, and we got to stay in the home 
of a chief from another religion, another language, and another culture, but we just felt in our hearts that we were, we were wanted there, we were loved there, we were home. Acts chapter two. Now remember, we're going through 29 chapters of Acts, and in the next few weeks, we're gonna look at the first few, and so we're looking at the whole chapter of Acts, and so there's bits and pieces we're gonna pick out here that maybe we don't often look at, details often that we may have overlooked. But I wanna tell you that the picture of Acts chapter two is a picture of this home that God is building in the world. And it is a home like no other home that ever was or ever will be. It is, it is a cosmic home, but it is a very ordinary home. It is a home that God has built for everyone who wants to be part of that home. But it is truly a home like no other. And as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to discover at the second chapter, we're going to discover where this home is. You know, it's really important to know where a home is. What's it like? What is it? When I, when I get there, will I recognize it? I'm somebody who never tell me to navigate by giving me street names. I'm going to get lost. Give me landmarks. Tell me that's there and that's there and I'll find my way. And so we're going to discover from God's word where this home is. We're going to discover as we look at Acts chapter 2, who can live there? Who is it that God is inviting into this home? What kinds of people? We're going to discover how we can get there. I remember when Corey, my oldest granddaughter, was two too old for two little fishers, and she had to go to another place, another school, and it was in Pine Town. And our son Zippy took him there, her there for the first couple of days, and then it was Grandpa's job to go and fetch her one day. And he, Zippy was explaining to me where this place was, and I don't know if I looked lost or what, but four-year-old Corey looked up at me and said, don't worry, Pompa, if you don't know how to get there, you can just look at your phone. So how do we get to this home? Acts chapter two will tell us that. And then Acts chapter two will also tell us what it's like to live there, what it is like to be in that home, this exceptional, this wonderful, this brand new home that God is creating for you and for me and for the whole world. But before we answer those four questions, there's another question I want to ask. When is this home? When is this home? Now, I know that doesn't sound like a sentence that makes sense, but the truth is God chose a very particular time, a very particular day to, to announce this home. He, he didn't just decide on, that'll be a nice day to introduce the world to this new home. He, 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 he chose a very particular time and it was a time known in the Jewish world as Pentecost or as Shavuot. There was a particular festival going on. And woven into the story is the meaning of that festival because it, 
explains so much about this home and what it is and why it's so wonderful. Acts 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And so God announces this, this new home on the day of Pentecost, or as, the, as in, in, in Hebrew, Shavuot. It is a festival. It happens, it's known by, to some as the, as the Feast of Weeks, because it happens seven weeks and one day after Passover. So we usually have Passover, uh, Easter at the time of Passover, and God was doing something very deliberate there. And then there was this festival, seven weeks, and one day after, Pente- after Passover was Pente- Pentecost. And if you go and look in Deuteronomy chapter 16, or Exodus chapter 23, or Leviticus chapter 23, or Numbers 28, all of those passages will help you understand a little bit more about this Festival. It was known as the Festival of the First Fruits. It was known as, the, as I said, the Feast of Weeks. It had all sorts of names because each of those names told something of the story of what God was doing. And this timing was so important. And so what were the Jewish people celebrating? What was happening at Pentecost that's so important that God chooses it as a moment to announce this new home that he's that he's now inhabiting in this world. Well, it was, a, it was a harvest festival. It was timed to happen just as the wheat was being harvested. And in the, in, in, in the Jewish world, in the Hebrew world, the, that was the main source of food. The wheat harvest was, was critical to, to provision, not only for that time, but for the whole year. And so they were celebrating this idea that God provides, that God gives, that God cares, that we're in a home where we'll have enough. The second thing that they are celebrating is, is freedom. Remember, hey, my brain this morning, eh? That first one, Passover, Passover was when, when they were freed from slavery. Now they're in the wilderness, they're traveling towards um, their destination, towards their new home, the promised land, and they are free. So they are celebrating the fact that they are no longer prisoners, that they're no longer kept bound, that they are going from a prison to a home. They're also celebrating the giving of the law. It was where God met them on Mount Sinai, and gave them, I guess, the rules for the house. This is how you live in my world. This is what my home looks like, where people love me and love one another and serve one another. And so they're celebrating the fact that they are no longer living under prison rules. They're no longer living under slavery. They're living under the loving hand of a good father who loves them and wants them to be free. Here's another amazing thing that, that the Feast of Weeks or Passover began to, to be used as a symbol in the Jewish world. It also celebrates God's covenant with the whole earth. Did you know that God made a covenant not just with every creature, not just with all humans, but with every animal and with the whole earth? Did you know that? And at Pentecost, that's what Jews celebrate. Uh, You do know this covenant. I want to remind you, 
you are reminded of it regularly by God. You see, that, that rainbow comes from Genesis, doesn't it? From, from where Noah and his family have come out of the ark. And listen to what is celebrated at Pentecost. Whenever the rainbow appears, Genesis 9, in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on the earth. And what was that covenant? It was a promise never to destroy the earth again with a flood. It was a promise from God that this earth that I've given to you is a place for you to live and a place for you to be in and a place for you to thrive and love. Not just you, but every human being and in fact every animal. So this home of God isn't just about a small group of people. This moment of announcement is just so fundamental to God saying what his home is like. It is a home for everybody. It is a home of provision. It is a home of plenty. It is a home of freedom. It is a home where we live by the rules of God, the maker of heaven and earth. This is an amazing home. And God has created it for everyone. And so, what does Acts chapter two have to say about where this home is? Well, right there in verse three of Acts chapter two, it says this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, language, in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I need to pause, and if you were here two weeks ago, you may remember, I spoke about the fact that God's presence with the Israelites, with his people, had been a pillar of fire and a cloud, and it moved with them through the wilderness, and, and it, it led them to the promised land. And then when the new temple was built, the first temple that Solomon built, a physical cloud and fire came down into the temple. What was God doing? He was telling his people, this is where I live. If you want to, if you want to connect with me, if you want to, to, to speak to me, if you want to be with me, you need to come here because this is where I live. That fire that wind, those clouds are now moving. They are coming onto the people, all the disciples that were sitting there. It came onto them, and it's God making a huge announcement. It's God going, I don't live in the temple anymore. You don't have to come here, because I am moving house. I'm moving into the hearts of every human being who wants to live in my home with me. That's where I am now. I'm there. I'm inside every one of you. But it, it goes even further. You know the gift of tongues, we talk a lot about that. But here's something really interesting about the tongues that they received on that day. 
Now, verse five, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, here's what's interesting. None of those people needed a translation. None of them needed to hear God speaking in their own language because they were all already connected to to God through being Jews. And they understood what was being said when it was being said in Aramaic or in, in, in Greek. Why is it that God wants to speak to them in their own tongues? I'll tell you why. Because God wants to show that it is wrong to believe that God belongs to one culture or one type of person or one group of people, but that God in his deepest, deepest being wants us to know him in our deepest, deepest beings, in our mother tongues, in who we are in our inner being. They were being told, you don't ever have to listen to a translation of who God is again. You don't ever need to have a culture to access God. You don't ever need that. Nobody is excluded. And wherever you come from, God speaks directly to you in your heart, in the language that you understand. This is huge. You know, even the, the disciples in the beginning, they didn't get this. For a long time, even the early church kind of kept just speaking to Jewish people or just hanging around in Jerusalem and eventually God had to drive them out. But God was saying something really profound. But he's also saying something else. In Acts chapter two, it says this, they were all together in one place. And then it says in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Here's one of the greatest magical things about God's home. It's not just in your individual heart. It is in our hearts together. God moves into us and lives in us and then we take God's home out with us into the world. You see, it wasn't just about them getting together in the upper room. It wasn't just about them being in the, in the temple. It wasn't just about this home being in this location or that location. This home ended up being everywhere the Christians got together. And also everywhere they were alone. You see, that's the beauty of this home, that it's inside of me, and yet it is everywhere that any of God's children go. It's why it was so important for this early church that they got together. But it was also why it was so important for them that they lived as believers in their houses and in the streets and wherever they could, because this new home of God is not just in our hearts, it is also everywhere any of us go. That's where this home is. Acts chapter two also teaches us some incredibly important things about who can live there. 
Who, who, is, who can live in this home? I mean, there's nothing worse than not being allowed in somewhere you really want to go, isn't it? Or, or arriving at a place where you've been invited and you just feel like you don't belong. We've all had that experience of like, I don't really belong here. Sad thing is it even happens sometimes in church communities. I don't belong. I want to go back to what I said about that language thing. 2 verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Up to now, many people who wanted to follow the way of God came to the temple, but they weren't allowed into the core of the temple. They would have to be on the periphery. So you can come to my house to visit. You can come to my house and enjoy a little bit, but, but, but you're not in our home. And this, this language, this gift of tongues that God was giving to those people and that they were saying this, that nobody's a visitor anymore in this home. If you have, have asked to connect with God, if, you have, if your desire is to be connected to God, you are not a visitor here anymore. It doesn't matter what your culture is. It doesn't matter what your orientation is. It doesn't matter what your, your status is in terms of your wealth or your education. None of those matter. What matters is you have been invited in to God's house to live there, to be at home there. You're not a visitor. You belong here. So if that's who can be there, literally everybody, if they want to live there, how do you get there? So if you, as you go through the book of Acts, you go through chapter two, that first part is about the Pentecost and what happened. And because of Pentecost, this guy called Peter stands up because some people were listening to what was going on and going, whoa, these folks are drunk. Because it was bizarre what was going on. And so Peter stands up, well, let's read it, Acts chapter two, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He's about to tell this crowd how to get to this new home. That's what he's about to do. He's about to direct them. Remember Corey told me, Pompa, how you get this, you look at your phone. I want to tell you this, that you can get to God's home by looking at your phone too, if you've got the Bible app downloaded. You really can. It's right there. You can look at your phone. And so he gets up and he, he, he preaches a sermon and it's quite long. I want you to go and Read it, and I'll tell you why. I want you to go and read it, because here's what he did. He told those people how to get there in a way they understood. He under, unpacks, these people are all Jews or converts to Judaism, and they understand the story of God as told in the Old Testament. They understand it. And so he begins to unpack in a way that they understand who God is. And this new home that God has for, for everybody. Have you ever had gotten directions from somebody and as you listen, you just know you're going to get lost? You just know. And there's one of two reasons. Either the person doesn't know where, what they're talking about, which is always an option, or they just don't know how to explain how to get to a place. Again, you know, if you tell me street names, I will get lost. If you tell me landmarks, I'll get there. I will. 
And, and, and so often, people are given directions in ways they cannot understand. Who can still read a map? You know, who can still read a map? We don't need to because it's on our phone. That lady tells us to turn and, and go here and go there. But not everybody can do that. And so Peter tells these people, you want to go to God's house, I'll tell you how to get there. I'll tell you the story of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is the way you get there. The bottom line is the way you get to this home is somebody who already lives there tells you how to get there. Somebody who already lives there tells you how to get there. That's what Peter was doing in that sermon on that day. But he isn't the only person. We, we, we read later on of all sorts of other things that those early Christians did that kept showing people that's where God lives, that's where God lives. Sometimes they fed people, they invited people into their home, they rescued babies, they did all sorts of things. And all those things were done for one reason, God has a home and he wants you in it and I know how to get there. But the second and really important thing about getting to this home is you have to start walking. The truth is you have to want to be there. It's not a home that God forces you into. You see, you, as soon as you get forced into a home, it's not a home anymore, it's a prison. It doesn't matter how lovely it is and how nice it is, but if you are there against your will, you're a prisoner. And so these people here, they are get, they're given directions by Peter, and what do they do? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? We shall start walking. We shall say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've opened your home to me. I'm, I've made a decision. And folks, sometimes that decision gets made quickly. But sometimes people take literally years. Sometimes they want to be in the house before they're really at home. I love how recovery groups like AA and other recovery groups determine who can be in their group. Do you know how they determine it? They determine it by somebody saying, I have a problem and I want to deal with the problem. I'm an alcoholic and I want to stop drinking. I'm a user and I want to stop using. That's the qualification. It's not how rich or, or how well the person's done or that they've already fixed themselves. They just want to. And, and, and God's home is a home that is open to those who want to, not those who are perfect. Not those who already know the answers. Not those who know all the rules. But just those who are desperately wanting to be there. What shall we do? Accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and listen. Come and learn. Come home. The second chapter of Exodus tells us what it's like to live there. And like I said, this is a unique home. This is a unique home because this home is not about where it happens. It's not about the outside or the building. It's about none of those things. It's about the way we live. It's about, well, it says here in 
Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, this home is much more a, a way we live rather than where we live. It begins by saying we are devoted. In other words, we've made a decision that before anything else, we follow Jesus. It doesn't matter where that happens, but we devote ourselves. And they were devoting themselves to what the apostles were teaching them about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. They were saying, we're gonna put this first. We're going to do this not on our own, we're gonna do this together. And, and, and we're not just gonna do it here in this particular place, but we're gonna do it in our homes, and in our schools, and in the marketplace. And wherever we find ourselves, we are going to devote ourselves to living in this amazing home that we have been given. Do you remember last week, Richard introduced us to that footprint that told us about our church, that told us that, that actually our church is not about this building. It's not about what happens here on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday. It's about what happens when, when we go out and live our home, where we go out and take Jesus in our hearts with us and change the world and invite people in. You see, a home isn't just about what happens in the family room. I mean, for purposes of this illustration, this is the family room. But a home is about what happens there and in the kitchen and in the passage and in the study and in the bedrooms and even in the bathroom. That's a home. As we spent time on our retreat and we grappled with, with that Acts 2.42 where they were all together and they, they gathered and they shared everything in common and they sold their, their possessions and they helped the poor and they did all those amazing things. Richard came up with this phrase. He said, it's like all of the Christians were being Christians everywhere all the time. It's like church was being everybody everywhere all the time. Church wasn't just about when they were in the temple courts or when they were in Solomon's colonnade, but it was also about when they were at home having lunch together and when they were at school and when they were in the marketplace church, God's home, isn't about what happens here, but it's about what happens here. And as we go out, all of us are being church everywhere all the time. Here's what I love about that phrase when he coined it. I went, whoa, Richard, that's some great theology. You see, one of the things about God, even though in the Old Testament, the picture was that God lived in that temple. We know that God is omnipresent. Omnipresence means this. All of God is everywhere all the time. That's omnipresence. All of God is everywhere all the time. And the church, that is God's body, all of us, everywhere all the time, is a picture of this home. 
What a great home they had in Acts chapter two, isn't it? Imagine being part of it. Imagine what it felt like to be rescued from that crazy world that those people were living in. Imagine what it felt like for the disciples who'd been so afraid. Imagine what it felt like. Here's what's beautiful, you don't have to imagine. Because the truth is, that home that God was creating in Acts chapter two is the same home you and I live in today. All those rules, all those things that I've spoken to you about are still real today. They are still here. We can have all of them. That's what God wants. God wants us, his children. When we think of being at our church home, not just to think of being here, but to think of God being here, and we take him, we are with him, and he's in us when we're doing this, or when we are at home in our garage, or at school. You see, that's God's home. And it's a home where everybody belongs. Acts 2.47 says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We'd planned to have communion this morning, and then we discovered we didn't have enough. And I'm glad. I want to tell you why. Because communion is about God in us. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll join me here on the stage. Communion is about Jesus in us. But because Jesus is in us, we have this immense privilege, just like they did in Acts 21, to go out there and to tell people this is where God lives, and you know what, you are welcome. We want you here. And so this week, I want you to take a step into God's home. This week, I want you to, when you get home, I want you to, if you've got kids, get your kids to draw a cup and a piece of bread. I want you to to go into your cupboard and take a drink and take some food and take it out and don't eat it. And remind yourself that your home is God living inside you and that there are so many people who don't know how to get there, who've never had somebody explain the way to them. Somebody to tell them, how I know how to get there because I live there. And ask God this week, as you are reminded, put something at home so that it'll remind you every day that you see that Jesus lives in you. Because he does, you can invite others into the, the most amazing home, the home that we call church, that is God's people living together everywhere, all the time, and inviting people into God's home. We're gonna sing two songs. The first one is to say thank you to Jesus for for making his home in us, for dying on the cross, for giving us his body and his blood so that we can come home. And the second song 
We're gonna stand together as a reminder that we serve a good father and we need to invite other people into this amazing home that we live in. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body and for your blood. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that we can be home because you invited us. What a gift you've given us. What a beautiful home this is. Lord, help us to take it everywhere, every day. Amen.